0: Hold on a minute, gang. Just a minute. Hold on a minute here. Hold on a minute here. I got uh, very important stuff here to do here. Oh, yes. 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 Uh. Hey, listen, you don't mind if I tell uh, if I tell an Army story here tonight, do you? There's an 18-year-old soldier decided to take a joyride from Fort Hood, Texas, to nearby Copperas Cove. Copperas Cove. Uh, the only thing that made it uh, kind of curious was the vehicle he drove on the unauthorized trip. happened to be an M60 tank. Uh, Private Michael Hedge was chased eight miles by three military police jeeps, about eight police cars, and a helicopter. What could you do if you caught it? An area resident asked, what would you do if you caught up with a guy? Hedge was finally taken into custody when he stripped the gear on the tank trying to navigate a creek. <laughs> I stripped the gear in the tank and he and he had to stop. Hey, that says something bad about the M sixty tank. I mean if he couldn't get through a creek, either that or he didn't know how to drive it. But you know, I'll I'll tell you, I, I almost started a story about this kind of thing because you know, this this is this is this is an absolute uh Human failing. I mean, when you get in, when you get in the immediate proximity of really high-powered equipment, whatever the high-powered equipment is, man, and um, maybe it's largely male. I don't know whether whether the female of the species has this same urge. I, you rarely hear of a of a girl jumping into a uh, into a tank and driving it across the fields. However. Uh, it is a fact that the urge of the male of the species when he's in the immediate vicinity of great heavy pieces of equal large numbers of them not all of them many of them uh, when you're in the immediate vicinity of anything like that with great power under the hood your desire or your urge is to get in and see if you can make it go now you may not have that urge you may not have a lot of other urges either I'm not going to argue that but <laughs> I'm saying here that this is a common feeling and I just uh, a thing, and and if you're around at any length of time, you eventually, the chances are, will give in to that that terrible temptation. And I had a thing happen to me, and I don't know whether any of the law officers are listening. This is my way of a confession. And I might say, like like uh, you know, like all other guys that are led down into the, the primrose path of crime, uh, it all comes about usually from bad company. Now, how bad company got to be bad company is another argument, too. They were probably in bad company. And, you know, wherever bad company goes back, crack probably all the way to the devil, I don't know. <laughs> you hang around with the devil long enough, and you're in problems. So <laughs> either that or you become very successful and uh, get nominated and wind up in Congress or something. But nevertheless, I... Uh, now, how do you like that for throwing in gratuitous, snotty remarks? But nevertheless, uh, I, uh, I'm in the Army, right? Okay, so you know when you're uh, when you're in the army, you know you're surrounded like you are in most parts of life. Uh, you're surrounded by all kinds of rules and regulations and things you do and things you don't. And uh, there are certain things you do, certain things you don't in the army by custom more than anything else. It's not a rule, and uh, people have an idea. You know, that the army is one of these places where it's like authoritarian rules. It's all tough and hard and clean. I think that's because most people have an idea of the army based either on bad army novels. Or on uh, bad army movies, but there's a great deal of hanky panky that goes on in the army life, and uh, that uh, is rarely reported either in the novels or in the uh, movies. Uh, merely because it's just the way life is, and that rarely gets into literature, so uh, <laughs> in any form. So, nevertheless, I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, sitting around a company one day. I'm in this company, Company K, right, and. Uh, the uh, this uh, particular company was a Signal Corps company and we were involved in, in radar. We had these huge uh, radar pieces of radar equipment, all highly technical and electrical equipment seen. And uh, one day I got sent down uh, just out of a bull. I just well I'll tell you honestly what happened. I think it's one of the things that makes the Army exciting is that it's it's exceedingly capricious, uh, which gives it a certain amount of excitement. Uh, that the, that the unexpected is continually occurring in the army because of that capriciousness. Now, if you're walking down the street uh, here in New York, and you're you know you're a civilian, right? You're walking down the street, and uh, let's say you're at 34th Street, okay? Sixth Avenue, you've been there, right? Walking along. Now, it would never occur to you somebody jump out of uh, say Macy's. Right out of the out of the door, Macy's. An executive at Macy's, right? Let's say he's an executive. He's got a flower at a buttonhole. He's not going to come jumping out on six steps and say, "Hey, you, you, yeah, yeah, the guy with a blue shirt, come on, let's go, get on a stick, come on, move." All right, and you, you run over there and you get. He said, "Yes, sir." He said, "All right, come on, you're going to work here. Uh, Put you in the tie department." All right, come on, let's go. We're going up on the fourth floor. That would never happen to you. Where suddenly you're told that you're going to work in the tie department, would it? Of course not. However, that is a common occurrence in the army. Uh, <laughs> just that exact thing. And and I I'm uh, walking around one day, minding my own business. I'm coming back from the latrine. I'm on the way to the day room, and I was going past the, I was going past the uh, orderly room. The orderly room, in case you don't know what that is, is the company office. That's where all the stuff comes from. That's where the, the company commander stays, and that's where his uh, executive officer hangs around when they can find him, uh, when he's not down at the officer's club, you know, playing a pinball machine. Uh, that's where the uh, first sergeant uh, makes out the morning report. That's the office, in other words. say, And it's a good place to stay away from under normal circumstances, just as the front office, wherever you work, is a good place to avoid if you can. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I am come out of the latrine on this Fateful day, and I'm carrying my towel, and I got my boy soap, and I'm, I've got my shower clogs on, you know, and I'm clunking along down the company street, uh, heading down towards the day room where I was going to pick up Gasser, and uh, he and I were going to go into town. saying I was going to go in and see, see Gasser and say, Hey, Gasser, let's go get on a stick and go back into the barracks and get dressed, right? So I'm walking past the orderly room when, without warning. It happened. The screen door slams open. Kowalski's head sticks out and says, Hey, hey, you! What a towel! Come here! Well, I was the only guy in the street with a towel, so I turn around, and Kowalski sees who it is. He says, Oh, oh, Shepard, come on in here! I walk in, clonking on my clocks. It was the first time i ever been in the oily room, you know, wearing nothing but a towel with a a shower clock. So I walk in, he says... uh, he said, go down and get dressed, put on your fatigue. you're going down to the motor pool. We're going to have somebody who has to be qualified in heavy equipment. Oh, you know, there, there goes the weekend. Forget it. I mean, uh, right there, see, and I had a date with this chick all lined up, the whole thing, you know, and, and I said, but, but I was going to, he look, come on, don't give me no flap. So I'll give He said, I'll give you a three-day pass next month. How about a three-day pass next month? But don't argue with me, you're going to go down to the motor pool you got to send somebody down there to get qualified and heavy equipment. Well, all right. Uh, you can push your luck so far. So I go back into the barracks, and I, I get put on my fatigues. And Gasser comes walking in, and uh, he's just been in the day room, you know, playing ping pong or something. And uh, he says, how come we're not going out? He said, me putting on my fatigues. And I had on my incidentally work fatigues. You had two pair of fatigues. One is your dress fatigues. If you can imagine dress overalls, that's what they are. Uh, the others are your smelly ones that you have not uh, sent to the laundry for the last four and a half weeks, and they got moss under the arms, you know, and these are your work fatigues, so I'm putting on my work fatigues. And I said to Gasser, well, I'm going down to the motor pool. He said, what for? So I'm getting qualified in heavy equipment. He so what the hell? Oh, boy, this can change your whole career because what you're qualified for in, in the Army is often what you're going to have to do. So you try very carefully... <laughs> To be non-qualified in many things. Uh, for example, uh, it, it can it can be terrible if, if, uh, if it's discovered in many army circles that you can type, uh, you'll wind up, uh, <laughs> uh, you know that that uh, or or if, or if it's found out that uh, you know almost anything if you can play the piano, you you, you wind up uh, forever sitting down at the uh, officers' club uh, uh, cleaning out spittoons because you can play the piano. And if you think you're ever going to get anywhere that way, forget it, friend. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, one thing you don't want to know in certain circles is how to drive a truck. Well, I was being assigned to go down and learn how to drive the trucks, right? So, there was no way to get out of it. So, half an hour later, I'm down in the the, uh, motor pool. The motor pool is this great big garage. I started to tell this story here a couple of weeks ago. Remember, Jerry? Uh, So, I get down to the motor pool. The motor pool is fantastic. Uh, I mean, row after row of these gigantic, great, big, uh, dark, olive drab uh, trucks. You've probably driven along on on turnpikes from time to time, and you've seen Army convoys going by. Well, each guy in those trucks, they don't just say, Hey, I'll drive the truck today, Sergeant. No way. Uh, You are trained. You have to be. You are trained, you are qualified, and you are charged with that truck. And when you drive that, that, uh, that big weapons carrier out, baby, that's your, that's your thing. And uh, you, you, you carry with you a GI driver's license that says that you are equipped and qualified and signed out and have proven that you can drive this thing. No way you can fake it. Some of them have 15 forward speeds alone, <laughs> not to mention eight speeds in reverse. Some of them even have four or five speeds in sideways. I mean, you know, these are <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on under that wood. I mean, they have everything but the turbochargers under there. See, so uh, I walk into this this uh, motor pool, and uh, here's the the motor pool sergeant. All motor pool sergeants have a curious simian quality to them. I've noticed in my experience in the army, which is somewhat considerable, that they're almost always uh, of a simian nature. You know what is it simian? Well, I will I will translate gorilla-like. Uh, Ape-like, uh, this the sergeant is sitting there, bulging muscles, a squatting little simian type, uh, wearing a fatigue suit with about uh, fifteen twenty stripes on each arm, and uh, just bulging with muscles. He's got all kinds of socket wrenches sticking out of his pockets all over the place, see? and uh, he's wearing a very crushed, battered uh, garrison cap covered with grease. And I walk into the to the motor pool, see. And he says, What do you want? And I says, "Uh, I just uh, was sent down from K Company, 3162nd, sent down from K Company. He says, Oh, yeah, you're the one. All right. He says, "Uh, I just got a call from Kowalski. I said, Yeah. See, they check, double check all the way down there. I mean, I'm just going to goof off, you know. He knew I was coming, and he knew what I was. borrow a Jeep and drive it to town to go to the USO and see whether they're having the tuna salad sandwiches tonight. Uh, no way. He knew what I was there for. <laughs> so he says, so I just got a call from Kowalski. I says, you have? A call from Kowalski, huh? He says, yeah. He says, I got a list of what you got to be qualified in. A list of what I'm going to be qualified in? That's a boggling thought. Uh, now, most of you think in terms of learning how to drive a car, Right. Well, I have a list of what to be qualified in, you know, and and they had some monsters there. I could see them looming on the horizon in this motor pool, maybe 8, 9, 10 stories high, 15, 20, 30 wheels, you know, with great big treads in between them, winked treads, that kind of mounting, uh, you know, 20-millimeter cannons out of the hood, that kind of stuff, you know. And they yeah, real monsters. Reminds you, this is WOR New York. I mean, talk about technical monsters. Yeah, I stand there, you know, waiting for this guy, and he's picking his teeth, see, and he's quietly finishing his coffee. One thing about being in the motor pool, these guys are absolutely, a, they have a, an old enclave in themselves. You see, they're in charge of transportation. How many times have you gone down to a garage, you know, one of these big garages, midtown garages? Have you noticed the curious, insolent, arrogant air about people in big garages? Why? Because they have control of something which is extremely basic to man's daily life, and that is mobility, right? So they're arrogant. They're in charge. Now, now you're not going to find a guy that is in charge of, let's say, a pool cues. Uh, if you go to a place where a guy is handing out beach balls, Ed, do you agree that a guy handing out beach balls is not in exactly the same position as a guy who's able to give you a car for the weekend. Right. One is very necessary to your existence. The other is a peripheral luxury, which you may or may not want. I mean, you may or may not want a rubber duck to ride on. But I'll tell you this, a set of wheels, when you've got something good going in town, is pretty, pretty necessary, right? So there is a certain arrogance that uh, that comes from guys that are in charge of various things which are basic to man's life. Have you noticed the arrogance of a of a guy behind a butcher counter? Oh, you know, you know he's got he's got something you want. And when you want a steak, you want a steak. There's nothing you you can keep yourself all you want, but a peanut butter sandwich is never going to do what a steak will do. It's an aesthetic thing, right? So he's got a certain amount of arrogance in the, in the basic human knowledge that he is in touch with something which is primary. Not peripheral, but primary. So here's this sergeant sitting there. He doesn't have to take any lip from anybody. As a matter of fact, colonels would come down on their hands and knees begging for a car for the weekend. He's got him there, see? <laughs> he's in charge. So he leans back in his swivel chair. By the way, this guy was one of the great characters I ever met in the army. I only spent two days with him, and I'll never forget him. And I never didn't know his name. He just called sergeant. So, motor pool sergeant. That's so he's a sergeant. In fact, when Kowalski sent me down, he says, "Talk to the sergeant down at the motor pool." I said, "Okay," and that's all he was. And he was a little tough simian guy. He had a crew cut. Uh, and he was uh, wide, he had these, uh, these these hand-fitted fatigues covered with all kinds of exotic greases, and uh, he's squatting back down there in his little office, little square office, about, oh, about double size of the average Manhattan street phone booth. And uh, he's sitting there saying he's drinking his coffee, which he has on a hot plate, which is incidentally is supplied to him continually by a corporal who appears from between two trucks, I don't know what you know what that arrangement was, but this corp would come up from between two trucks with this uh, with this jug of coffee, and he would bring it in and he would fill up this this uh, this Silex thing that this guy had on this coffee pot maker, this heater thing thing. He'd come in pouring more coffee. He'd go out. He never said a word. So the sergeant is drinking his coffee in a GI cup. GI cups, by the way, do not have handles. In case you're curious, uh, they're more like mugs, you know. So he's the big white ones, you know the kind. So he's drinking a coffee picking his teeth, and uh, he looks up at me, and he says, uh, Signal Corps, huh? well, you see, I have to explain something to you. The motor pool uh, deals in transportation for all the units that are around there. You can be engineers, you can be quartermasters, you can be everything else you want, but the one thing they all share in common is the motor pool. That's why it's called motor pool. So he didn't belong to the signal corps. he didn't belong to the transportation car anything he belonged to the motor pool and uh, so he says a signal car huh? I said yes because you're very careful about this because there's, a, there's an entire hierarchical thing in the army I said uh, yes signal car oh boy he leans back in his chair he says one of them slide roll guys huh Probably went to college, huh? (laughs) Oh, boy, I love it when you college guys come in here. You guys don't know. Uh, I have to censor this at this point, friends. Uh, For those of you who are curious about what he said, uh, he referred to a portion of the anatomy. He said, you guys don't know, well, this portion of the anatomy from a banjo. When it comes to anything that has to do with wheels turning around, well, I wasn't going to take issue with this guy because, see, first of all, I was down there under Duress. And I could only make it worse. You, you see that for starters. Now, I had been working on cars ever since I was about three years old, as you probably have, too, Ed, one kind or another. So I could probably have ground a valve just as well as that sergeant. In fact, I know I could. But you don't bring these things out under certain circumstances, you just say, Well, yeah, you know. Because you let him go with his things. And he follows it up. He's boy, I love you guys on the Signal Corps. Hey, I don't know, whatever happened to any of you guys, you had to get in the Army. <laughs> oh, God, that's Signal Corps. You mess around with them radios. I mean, the guys. You know, but I bet you spent all your time testing tubes, huh? Something like that. I said, no, not really. Ah, come on. I know what you guys in the signal card do. I know what Kowalski does down there. All right, uh, I got a list of what you got online. And, he, you know, he doesn't offer me any coffee. He's got a jug of coffee growing out, out of that top of that coffee heater. He doesn't He doesn't offer me any. you know. And I'm still standing around in my fatigue since it's hot in this little office. And funny says, I got a list here. Let's see. How come you want How come you you guys have to have to be qualified the prime mover? the <laughs> first I heard of it. You know, I said I don't know. The Kowalski said he's uh, you know prime mover. Well, I want to explain to you what a prime mover is. It's it is what the word implies. Prime mover. A prime mover is probably the biggest truck that God ever created. The hood alone would reach to maybe the third or fourth floor of the average apartment building in New York. And uh, it has probably a minimum of seven, 8,000 horsepower under the hood. <laughs> it has a transmission roughly the size of the studio. And uh, it's the prime mover. It's for, it's for uh, like, say, for example, if you want to pull an M60 tank out of the ditch, you get a prime mover. I mean, it's bigger than the big ones. So, And it's also used to move things like 18 tons of uh, of uh, solid steel from one place to the other. So I said, yeah, I guess we have to learn how to about the drive the prime. I had no idea why Kowalski wanted us to learn to drive the prime mover, but there it is, see. He said, how come you have to learn to uh, what, what is this about getting, uh, uh, getting checked out on, on a half track? I said, so, is it on the list? Uh, you damn budget's it's on the list. Half track, let's see, I got half track. I have a weapons carrier. I have, uh, let's see, I have prime mover. I have utility vehicle one and two. I have, uh, <laughs> how come you, what, what, is it, what is it with the duck? I says, the duck? Uh, maybe you don't know what the duck is. Do any of you know what the duck is? That's the amphibious vehicle. It uh, roughly looks like an LST with wheels on it and a propeller in the back. He said, what is it with a duck? He said, we only got one duck and it's been already checked out. I said, the duck is out, huh? He said, yeah. He said, you're going to have to come back tomorrow for the duck. He said, all right, come on, let's go. He said, you got a driver's license, civilian? I said, you bet. See, so I whip in, I get my wallet out, which, uh, by the way, had inscribed on a souvenir of Roy Acuff. I had a Roy Acuff wallet. Which I wish I still had. Did you know that I had a Roy A. cuff wallet? Now you've heard of Roy A. cuff wallets, haven't you? I had a Roy A. cuff wallet, which I carried all through my army career. And incidentally, every time I was in trouble with any kind of an illiterate MP or first sergeant, uh, when I sensed problems, I would whip out my wallet without, you know, like like I was pretending I was doing something else. I'd take out my wallet, and he'd see the Roy A. cuff, I was already automatically in. He'd say, "You dig Roy A. cuff?" I'd say, "Oh yeah." He'd say, Oh man, smoke on the water. There'll be smoke on the water tonight and I say, Yeah, man, man And uh, so <laughs> you get you get by with little things like that. You learn those tricks, see. You don't know about, you don't know about the Great Speckled Bird? You mean you never heard of the Great Speckled Bird? That's Roy a. Cuff's famous tune. And so I'd sing this great speckled bird once in a while when I wanted to make it up, you know, with the first sergeant down there. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I I uh I I whip out my Roy Acuff wallet, and and, uh, he he takes a look at my driver's license. It's okay, and he makes a little note on a blue slip of paper, writes the number of it down. He said, follow me, soldier, and he said, uh, take that blue slip of paper with you, and don't you ever let that out of your sight. Now, it's a little blue folder, roughly the size of two uh, Social Security cards folded over together. It's a little folder, see. And on the outside, it printed in the black type. It said the U.S. Army Certification Record Motor Vehicles. And it had all kinds of seals and stuff on it. It's an Army uh, driver's license. But in the inside of it, there are like 50 little blank lines for various types of vehicles that you can be uh, checked out in. So it isn't just like a U.S. Uh, regular signal. Well, uh, you take your, your regular driver's license. It doesn't tell you uh, what kind of a car that you're uh, okay to drive, does it? And yet that's kind of funny. I've often wondered about that. You go down and get a driver's license, and you're qualified to drive not only a little Pinto, but you're also qualified to drive a 400-horsepower uh, Mark IV, we'll say. Two different kinds of vehicles entirely. And I would think that <laughs> we would we would start making a little differentiation, but we don't, you know. But uh, nevertheless, in the army, they do. You got to be qualified for each one of these babies. So the first thing we get into, he says, "Well, he said you've been driving around a lot. He said you probably know. He's no problem with the with the utility vehicle, which incidentally is known commonly to the uh, to the non-army types as the jeep. So uh, we get into the jeep." And they, he says, all right, he says, let's see let's see you put her in gear. He wanted to just check to see whether I knew how to work that that, that gear shift, you know. So I throw it into gear, and away we go. See, so I want to see, I want to see you do a couple of S turns around. They have a little course there set up with pylons. So I'm doing these turns in and out and having a hell of a time with a Jeep. See, I love to drive that thing. So, you know, I'm driving back and forth, and so we we we're about five minutes with the Jeep. You know, it's all over. So we pull around to the side of the motor pool, and he takes out my little blue thing. He says, give me the card. And he writes his name down there. Uh, Sergeant, the Master Sergeant Motor Pool. he writes his name down, and he puts down there the date that I was qualified to drive that, that uh, Army vehicle. And uh, so he says, all right, he says, let's get going there. So we walk on, to, and there's a lot of mechanics working on stuff, see, you know, all around this place. He wasn't the only guy. There was about 100 guys working, but he's in charge, you know. So we walk on down the long line, and the next thing we know, we are standing by the half-tracks. Well, I explained one night to you what a half-track is like. This is a big, big piece of gear. It has a big track on the back. That's called a half-track because of that big track, which most people would think is a tank tread. It's a tread. And uh, it's a, oh, it's a, it's a lot, of, lot of vehicle. Now, I don't know what one of these babies cost, but uh, I suspect in the very large, round figures, very fat figures, and so he says, All right, he says, get up there. He says, I'm gonna show you, he says, get it get on the get on the passenger side. He says, I'm gonna show you how you he says it's a little tricky here. He said, because you see you got the, you got reversible treads and you, you have to watch out for this baby, he said, because you make this sharp, he says, This baby will pivot right in its own length. He said, now it will pivot because what I do is apply power to the left tread or I apply power to the right tread. They they, they work independently, so this it's not like the same as your car with the differential. So he says, I will pull out this, now, this lever and I'll pull this one out and I'll give different power. He says, now you watch carefully. He says, I'm going to make a left pivot turn. <laughs> he starts this baby and she roared. Oh, and you can just feel that power roaring up through the guts of that, that machine. And you could smell the oil. It's got a heavy equipment. has a smell to it. Uh, it has a smell of, of uh, hot oil, and, uh, oil. All of it is very... It's an exciting, curious smell. So he he roars around. You can see. He, and it has a big, flat steering wheel, you know, the kind of wheel like like big cross-country buses have. He roars around this thing. And he back and forth. He backs it up. And all the while, I'm watching, and he gives me my chance, and I drive that baby. involved. oh, man. Well, then is when it happened. Sun is beaten down. Awful hot. So we're driving along in this big old half track with these great big treads in the back. He says to me, he said, I want to try you out on, on some cross country. So I said, okay. He said, drive it through the, right through the gate there. He's driving right on through the gate there. And he said, uh, we're going to go right across that road. He said, and you see that field over there, where we're going to cut right across that field. He said, we're going to go down in, in a couple of ditches over there. And so I want to cut down in them ditches. And he says, we're going to drive up on the, other, on the field on the other side. Now, let's go. Come on, move it. Come on, give it, give it a little bit gas. Don't be afraid of it. Now, give it give it some power. <laughs> so I roar up to the gas. Plate and <laughs> 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 oh, what a sense of power. I see. So I'm kicking this thing. And I roar up to the gate. And the MP sees it's the sergeant. So he knows them. So they wave. And out we go. Now, we are out of the camp. Listen carefully to me. We are now out of the camp. We are out in the civilian world. And driving across this road, which is always exciting to get out in the civilian world with a piece of GI equipment because it's showbiz, people outside of the camp always would look at all this stuff with great awe. Any time an, an army vehicle, as it's called in the in the army, a, a vehicle, a GI vehicle stops any place. People look in it, you know, because it really has a lot of exotic stuff, radio equipment and all that stuff, tanks on the side for, for fuel and for water and all kinds of special tires and that. So we drive across the road, and I want to tell you I've never been in a piece of gear that was higher. I was looking down on the road from a height roughly like would be about the second story. And I could see that line way down there. we go across this road, over into a ditch, and they they, tilt tilts forward up the side of the ditch again and through the weeds. I'm running over weeds, and I'm running over tin cans. I'm running over (laughs) all kinds of junk. There's old car bodies. I'm running over it, and it's banging away. And so we drive about a half a mile over these woods and weeds, see, at which point the, uh, the sun is getting hot. Man, it's getting hot. The sun is beating down on the two of us. The top is back on this thing. It has a canvas top. You know, the fold, you've seen those things with that canvas sagging top. So we get the top pulled back, and the dust is flying in, and we're banging over the creek beds and hopping in and out of holes and bashing our way through ditches, and the dust is flying up, and the sergeant, he's, he's hanging out at the front of the thing. He said, hey, you're doing pretty good. And I said, yeah, fine, sir, watch this. So I do another big U-turn and fly up to the side of a culvert. And the the hot sun is beating down. And that was what our downfall was. That hot sun. We've been out for about a half an hour when the sergeant says he's enjoying it. See, I can see that we're just popping around all over the field there. And I have no desire now to go back because I'm enjoying it. I never realized I would have fun down at the motor pools. See, I'm having a hell of a time. When all of a sudden, out of the middle of all this uproar, the sergeant hollers at me he says, Hey, how'd you like a beer? And the motor is roaring. You can't hear. You know, this it, has got a tremendous roar. He says, "How want a beer! And I said, What? He said, I want a beer! Well, now, you don't get a beer uh, unless you go back to the camp, which was uh, <laughs> like a mile away and uh, off in the haze, and you'd have to go down to the service. Well, that's a big thing, you know, going out for a beer. So I said go for a beer! He said, let me take it over! Put it in neutral! So I throw the thing in neutral, and he jumps out, runs around the front of the baby, and I see his little head way down there, see? And I scoot over to the other side of the seat there, which is a heavy black canvas seat. He climbs up, and oh man, I never saw anybody drive a piece of gear like that, could drive that thing. It was like this giant 40-ton piece of equipment, Grew out of this guy like his toenails, you know, like his finger. Hey, I mean, you could see why this guy was, uh, and by the way, what he had been in civilian life, it's interesting. In civilian life, this guy had worked in Detroit for GMC. He was telling me about it later. GMC, you know what GMC is? General Motors Corporation, where they build the big trucks. And and he was a tester. They, they, this guy would work. Yeah, he he was ready in his element. So he got this baby going. So then he drives across the field. And now we are driving down a civilian street in a half track. And this thing is going bum 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 these treads were pounding the streets, see? gonna wait down there. And I could see cars around the. You, uh, you, uh, you know, uh, have you ever been in a position of being able to look down, look down on the cab of a five ton truck? Well, here I am looking down, see? <laughs> what a sense of power. We drive along on the street there through this little town. Uh, and we. we and by the way, I will tell you, i uh, give you a word of, uh, of uh, a clue. That town is within 40 miles of New York City. It still exists, very much so. And I've been there several times. It looks almost exactly the way it did then. Anyway, we were right down the middle of the... right down the center of the, uh, the main street with this half-track scene. I, I thought it was kind of funny, see? what well, we pull up in front of this bar... And a car in a we pull up in front of a bar and he turns this baby off, and you can feel the heat wave just coming out of the hood and just you could smell the oil and the grease. And so we hop down out of the cab and here is this gigantic half track that was so big that it was casting a shadow that made the bar fall into a shade, you know <laughs> he barks before the bar. We get in and say the tavern hot. Uh, we've been driving this fantastic piece of equipment now for about a half an hour, and we walk up to the bar. Well, the bartender, he has felt the ground, of course, rumble under his feet. Uh, no doubt glasses have fallen off the, uh, the cupboards and back of the bar there when that, that baby pulled up in front, see? And he could see this giant hood completely covering up the window of his joint, I mean, casting a shadow. And, and 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 the the customers are all looking out. See, so, <laughs> we walk in and we sit down at the bar. At which point the the bartender says, uh, "Boys, that uh, you guys are really driving some piece of gear out there." He said, "That's a real beautiful piece of equipment. What is it?" And the sergeant uh, says, "That's a half track." He said, "And uh, what kind of beer you got on tap? What kind of uh, what kind of tap beer you got?" And the guy says, well, I think we got, uh, let's see, we got uh, we got Miller and we got Rheingold. And uh, what, do you, what do you have? And the sergeant turns to me and says, what do you have, uh, soldier? I said, well, uh, gee, I will have anything uh, you're having, sergeant. You generally do this. This is a little courtesy you pay to men with stripes all up and down. And he says, okay. With that, the bartender says, look, he says, I'm buying a beer. He says, I'm buying any any guys... I know what kind of life you guys must lead. Uh, I'm buying a beer for you. He said, what What do you have? And so the sergeant says, uh, draw two goals for me and my uh, my buddy here. And so the guy draws the goals Big Stein, puts one in front of each one of us, see, and all these guys are sitting at the bar in silent admiration. Both of us are wearing our fatigues. We got the, we got the web belts on, you know, and the whole thing. We're sweating. And... uh. And by the way, when you drive this piece of a gear, according to the regulation of that particular motor pool, you had to wear your helmet uh, for, I guess, safety purposes or something. So we both had big steel helmets. So we we start drinking a beer. We're sitting there casually drinking beer. And uh, it tasted great. I must say the beer was really great. Uh, it's, It's usually this way before real trouble starts. And so at that point... Uh, The sergeant orders another beer. Well, to make a long story short, we had, between the two of us, we had about five or six beers. It was a hot day. Now, I don't know whether you know what a beer will do Uh, on a hot day when you haven't had anything to eat since about 5.30 in the morning, and that's what time you eat in the the Army. Usually it's now about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We haven't had any lunch uh beer tends to do this especially when you've had five or six of them in quick succession we had to get back to the cab, say. so at that point the sergeant says come on let's go on let's go come on let's go buddy and so i said yes sir sergeant so we go trotting out into the sun we get into this thing and he's going to drive now he gets up on the uh, uh, up on the driver's seat saying he <laughs> he gets into this this baby i get into this thing and he starts the motor. <laughs> Heat pouring up, and he grabs the lever on the front of this. This uh, the levers all come out of the dashboard and these things that, that operate the various uh, the, the various half tracks, the various treads, one way or the other. He pulls one out, throws it in gear, and I hear behind me. I hear <laughs> just like that. He has put it in reverse instead of forward. And I look around the back, and I see it's unbelievable. We have flattened an Oldsmobile. He just backed it up over the hood, and that hood has been lowered a foot and a half. This didn't even bother him. Not only that, we have run over a, a, a fire hydrant, and the water is squirting up in the air. It's squirting in a long stream of us. And we sit there, you know, and he says, all right, come on, let's get in and get it. gear there. He's going to ignore this completely. He throws it, and first we start rolling down the street. Gah, 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 I don't have to tell you, a black and white car pulled up with green, yellow, red, blue, and purple lights comes pulling up next to us. And he says, get out of the... Get out of that thing, you two guys. Come on, get out of here. And the two of us come climbing down out of our half track. And this police officer, and he was that, wearing this big flat state police hat. He says, What the hell were you guys doing? And the sergeant says, Well, I'm out showing a soldier here how to how to how to operate the half track. You, see, you know, you never know what these guys are going to do. You get these rookies out, and uh, uh, you never know what they're going to do. You, see, you know, you, you, after all, uh, this is a part of the government operations, and uh, this soldier here was being being trained to operate the half track under conditions of extreme uh, difficulty, and we had to have mobility at all times. That unfortunately, occasionally, there will be uh, accidents will occur, but this will have to be, of course, charged up to government problems. And I would suggest that you contact uh, the 3162nd, uh, what uh, what company did you say you was, soldier? This is Company K. He says, uh, you contact Company K, the 3162nd, uh, what was that, what, what kind of battalion was that? I said, that was the Signal Air Warning Battalion. The 3162nd Signal Air Warning Battalion, Company K. And you tell them that, uh, uh, that I, uh, you tell them the sergeant of the motor pool says that one of your soldiers caused some uh, considerable damage in town learning to drive a uh, Army m 2 half-track. And if they want to want to check out, I tell them to call me at the motor pool. Any questions? Yeah, the uh, officer's writing all this down. He says, no questions. He says, oh, okay, no question. Just watch it. So don't worry about it. I'm driving it now. It's all right. He throws it on the first, and we go rattling down the street. Well... I don't have to say any more about it. I mean, it's just a sickening story.